Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of this podcast, Cinema Films. With me, I have my guest, uh, RJ Ortiz. Hey, how's it going? Everything's uh, going fine. So, RJ, from what I understand, works with Alex Gibson at Cinepros. Uh, I, I figure we'll kick it off by talking about what you do with Cinepros. Yeah, so uh, I'm a co-owner uh, uh, with Cinepros. Uh, Alex Gibson's on my team, as well as Joshua Parker. Uh, together, we've kind of built this small business where we... Um, go and make films or music videos or commercial work for different people around Huntsville and similar, you know, southeastern area. And uh, I mostly do cinematography. Uh, we all take a little bit of a part in the, uh, the planning process and pre-production, uh, writing, whatever it may need to be, um, editing. But for the most part, we have our main key roles on set and mine is mostly doing cinematography. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, this is probably like a very forward question, but what what gear do you guys normally run with? Uh, okay, so our, our main uh, gear that we, we shoot on, or at least I shoot on, is a uh, Red Monstro, uh, the full-frame sensor that Red came out with the Vista Vision. Ooh, those, are, um, those, those, those always impress me. I got to play with the, uh, not the Vista Vision, but the smaller 8K Monstro uh, when I was working as an AC on a, a feature a couple, couple months ago. So that was fun. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, we. Um, I mean, we started with uh, with DSMC two their their line uh, with a helium sensor with an AK helium sensor, and we loved it. Um, but they an opportunity came along to jump over to Monstro on a on a pretty good deal from Red, and uh, we we went ahead and snagged it. So we um, we we enjoy it. We love it. It's been worth the uh, the money <laughs> so far. I, I really love the images that come out of it. Um, it gives us a lot more latitude, I guess, overall. Like uh, it gives us the ability to work in tighter spaces because we get so much wider of a field of view. Uh, a lot of our lenses changed uh, with that, but we have uh, we use Takina Vista primes. Uh, they're pretty modern. Uh, lenses they have a little bit of character to them but not a lot and um, they, they they cover that full sensor and, and beyond so we feel pretty safe with that investment saying you know okay we know that these primes will work for us for a very long time okay so on the note of of Cinepros and and the gear and, and the money that you're spending what what is like an average work day for Cinepros you I, I've come to learn from doing not just interviews but from talking with a lot of people that every uh, production group and every uh, freelancer seems to have like a niche that they fit into where they tend to get one type of client more than others. I'm curious what you guys have. Yeah, so um, everyone kind of falls into their place. I mean, we're we're not trying to compete with others in, in the town too much. We I think we can all take a little bit of the uh, a piece of the pie, but I think a big thing that we do is we generate our own work. Uh, we find and seek out people who have a need and didn't know it. Um, uh, we we also try to approach you know uh, a certain sector that I've been working in for a long time, which is music videos. Uh, I we've we've fallen into that, and this is our banner year for music videos. I mean, we we from our inception, um, mm-hmm. we started saying, okay, we want to do some, uh, and we did, and uh, it was great, but we only did one or two here and there. Um, this year we're looking at I think 10 plus music videos for the year uh, if not more I mean I really don't know what it's going to end up being at the final count and I only usually count the number that we do um, if they actually release it so sometimes that works out in our favor sometimes not but nonetheless uh, yeah we fall in you know commercial work here and there but for the most part I think we've fallen into this good little area where we can we can create our own work by approaching artists and, and seeing what their needs are and meeting them so, um, and you mentioned, uh, you know, what kind of a day is it, you know, working with, with our group. So do you want me to go through kind of how we do that and what we do with our music video? Ab- work? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, sure. So, um, 
generally we work with our clients and we, we get the you know the the music uh, that they want to make a make a video for so they'll give us the track um if it's a pre-release you know we got to be pretty careful about it and we only share it amongst the the actual pre-production team um we take that and we listen to it and we i can't i don't know how many times we'll listen to it but we'll listen to it until we get it down and we know every little nuance of it and and understand what they're trying to to, you know uh, do with that and what message they want to deliver so we usually end up speaking with our clients and saying hey what what's the target audience that you have what kind of story do you want to tell or what's the message that you want to present uh, uh, to your audience and we kind of start working and forming something from there some clients come to us with with an idea already in mind they'll say I already know what I want I got the story in mind I need you guys to fill in the gaps where I can't so we'll end up you know doing the uh, the casting or the shaping of the story itself things like that uh, they'll have an overarching idea but we'll take that and kind of make it a little better you know telling a story is pretty hard to do in three four minutes of a song but if it fits the mood well and, and you match it well with the cinematography you can do it. You, you can you can tell a lot of story within four minutes so um what we'll do is we'll work through the pre-production with them and make sure that they're happy and and, uh, and, and come to an agreement we'll find our locations and everything and do all that planning um and until the day of now the day of is usually a pretty fun packed day um most bands really can only afford and, and i say that for most unsigned bands but uh, even then, with some uh, smaller signed bands, you get you don't have a huge budget, so you can't work multiple days on these shoots. Sometimes it's a one day; you got to get everything in in one day. So we try to be as agile as possible. What we do is we plan beforehand and say, "Okay, this is the gear we got to bring. This is what we're planning on doing. Uh, we'll, let's do our load in. Let's make sure that we got everything we need for the day. Props, everything. We we do everything from props, makeup." Uh, cinematography, the pre-production planning, the editing, we do all of it in-house. And that's, I think, something kind of unique about our group. There's a lot of people in our area that, you know, they're they're single, you know, op- owner-operator. And we love those people. We wor- we love working with them. But I think what we, we offer is something a little different where we can we can offer all the services that you would need for a small budget kind of production. Um, so we can, we can do that in house. And even sometimes we'll need to contract out one or two people, but even then we can stay agile because we work together so often that we know each other and can, can work on things pretty quickly. So we'll do that. We'll go in for that day and we'll, we'll try to get as many shots as we can. You know, we'll, we'll obviously have to, uh, uh, make changes here and there, depending on, uh, things that may arise, you know, we'll get a curveball every once in a while, but the artists are usually there working with us and we make sure that they're happy. Um, so usually in a production day, uh, we'll find ourselves, you know, working eight, 12 hours, just depends, um, trying to get everything done, but we're working and making sure we're doing all that planning makes us agile enough that we can deliver a great product within that day of shooting. Okay. So it seems to me like most regions in the state have one or two small groups like you have where they act less like, um, a, a, video company and more like a multimedia um, group, almost like a, a studio in itself, rather than just being a, a bunch of freelancers. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if I would categorize this as that. Well, we, where we do um, some multimedia in various forms, I mean, we kind of just, we meet the need of our clients. So if they come to us and they say, hey, we need this or that, you know, we, we don't really have everything on hand to do that sometimes we have to contract out work and it's great we have you know voiceover artists that will hire to do something you know if it's a commercial or a training exercise things like that 
we'll we'll hire somebody to do voiceover and make sure that we can deliver that. You know, we don't we don't have to have that all in house at all times. So there are some groups I'm I'm completely blown away by. I think one of them was Seed Creative. Uh, I think they're down in Tuscaloosa. I, I'm always blown away by how on the ball they are with all the stuff that they do. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you probably don't even see behind the scenes where they're they're constantly working and editing and 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 you know they got this great media presence and I'm always uh, very jealous of their ability to keep on top of that um, where we have you know our day-to-day lives where we just can't but um you know honestly their group feels like a full-on multimedia presence where ours is more of like you can hire us as a group you can hire us uh as a one-off if you need a cinematographer or hair and makeup or pre-production producing whatever it may be we have sound we have all of it but you know we, we come as a group usually with the package when we when we tell our clients here's your price for the thing uh for, for your product we usually bring the whole team everyone comes out and we make sure that we deliver the best that we can yeah i want to interview george at some point i worked with him briefly as a contracted editor right after i moved back to the state and um dealing yeah. with like a, a bulk client um the thing about seed that i find fascinating is is they are essentially a multimedia company. Um, everything yes. about what they do, even even the public presence, you know, the way that George talks to people is very calculated about how is it going to represent his company. And I find that interesting. Yeah, and I, I think it's smart. Um, he makes his living off of that. I mean, uh, it's, his, <laughs> it, it's everything. His whole company is, is established for the sake of providing those people that he works with. A salary or a job or and then providing for his family it's uh it's kind of cool to see that because i don't have that ability at the moment like i can't go full you know both feet in and and say okay that's what i only do i have to be able to provide for my family so i have a day job um mm-hmm. and i mostly do the the work i do on the weekends uh we do you know work and stretch for clients and we'll do stuff on weekdays but we work around our day jobs for the most part and and find a good balance there and, that, and that's kind of why i feel like we're different than you know some of the other groups because we don't do it day to day and we're not constantly trying to strive for beating out the other person we just want to pick up what we can create work for ourselves and and uh and, and find happy balance between you know that creative uh outlet that we need and then the also also you know building a small business together okay yeah that that that's interesting because the whole having a day job thing is kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my day job is going to be so I can keep doing this. I was doing it semi full time. I, you know, not necessarily make enough money I could survive off it. Thankfully, my girlfriend was supplementing things when I lived in Maryland. But I, I that, this is what I was doing essentially full time for about two years, and then I moved back to Alabama, and everything's been dry. <laughs> yeah, so Alabama is. It seems like one of those places that uh, you know it's a lot of word of mouth. Um, because you know your your ability to get out there is you got to find people and they got to find you so it's hard nowadays because uh, i don't know how many times i've been on alabama filmmakers and you see somebody post a job how many people within 15 minutes have posted a recommendation it's it's, this list gets so long Mm -hmm. and it's hard because you got to stand out against that whole crowd and sometimes you're the best person for the job and sometimes you aren't and it, it you know it's kind of frustrating because you you think sometimes you're a good fit for what they're asking for but you got all this the, the white noise because they've got to sift through all of it and you're like well you know if it's meant to be it's meant to be and i hate it for people that do make a living off of it um because uh, you know you've got all the people like me or whoever you know freelancing that may be willing to undercut because they don't have to worry about money so much um and it gets a little tough we we try not to 
you know, undercut anybody. We try to work within our means. We have our day jobs, but we got to be realistic and keep the market at a certain level because we want people to, to realize that the, the art that we do is worth something at the time and the money that you put into it. It's got to be worth it. So you can't just constantly throw out little bitty jobs here and there and expect people to, to survive off that because then you're setting a precedent and everyone's going to expect that and then nobody can really meet that for a living. We got to make more than that for a living. So, um, you know, I I think that this the, doing the day job thing is a great approach to it. Um, I mean, it, it's one way to secure yourself and be happy, but not have to worry about the money as much, and then you know fill in the gaps with the with the film work. But everyone finds their balance. Some people, um, I think, they go out of state a lot. You know, I think Bill Schweiker does that. I think he goes like I think right now he's in New York shooting, and there's a lot of Alabama talent up there shooting uh, right now. And it's great because I love to see us spread out. I know there's a lot of talent in the area, but sometimes it gets dry. And I know that's why Bill goes out of town because his, his experience and his level of effort, uh, he gets paid well for it. And then they bring him out to other places. And that's essential because he can't – I mean I don't expect anybody to do everyday work here in this in this state. The only way you're doing that is if you're out, like going outside of where you live and going and reaching beyond and getting remote work. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't mind me asking the question, you you guys do a lot of music videos. You've done commercial work. How much narrative work have you done? So um, it's a hard sell because um, to do narrative work and true narrative is what I would call like a feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be very available, um, and <laughs> those jobs are kind of far and few between. Like it seems like Birmingham will get a good film every you know month or two. Um, and I'll see somebody post about it and say, hey, we need crew. And I can't I can't apply for most of them, uh, even though that's what my heart wants. I want to be able to work on that stuff. I've never really been on a huge set before. Um, I, I just I don't have that experience. and I wish I could. It's because of my availability. I just can't see I can't be solid blocked off and available for 21 to 30 days straight. Some people can. And that's why they make their living doing it. But it's but it's a feast or famine situation with that. So they have to really spread that that budget out and make sure they can take make it to the next production, and they have to do really good work to make sure they get hired on the next production. So yeah. it's kind of a tough sell for me because you know uh, I can't really always do the narrative work. I wish I, I could. Now, with that said, you know we will totally do narrative work. I've been hired to do shorts before. Um, shorts are great. They're a great way to hone your skills, but they're they're also more of a challenge to me sometimes because. To tell a good story in a short film, like that, that's that's really difficult to create a world and a universe and somewhere uh, something to, you can believe and wholeheartedly like relate to. Um, I think it's a challenging thing. So I actually love to do short film work, uh, and I wish I could do more of it. You know, if more people wanted wanted to come hire us for that, I'd be excited. I'd be I'd be really happy. Um, but you know, it's 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 kind of a hard sell. So really, what we're you know what we're looking at with those kinds of clients is probably somebody you know, um, you know, getting around, working, doing things here and there, and then somebody notices and says, "Hey, they're the right person for the job. I want to hire them to do my short film." So you know, uh, narrative work, my full dream. I wish I could do that for a living every day. I wish I could make movies. Um, but honestly, it's it's uh, it's a hard sell right now, especially with my you know family. My wife wants me to provide for the family, and that's what I do. Um, and she works, and I work, and we we all contribute to this. And we have a certain standard of living that we like. And uh, to find that balance, I gotta have a day job. And one day maybe I'll get to do the narrative thing. But for now, I'm happy honing my skills and getting better at what I do and trying to grow. 
Yeah, I I had my like the feature that I worked on was my first feature that I was a, a AC on like a proper AC. I had done like quote unquote AC gigs in the past, yeah. and on those I was basically just a glorified um, production assistant, um, just running batteries and cables and not really like slating or doing anything interesting like that. It was hard though. Like you you go in and you're like, okay, the job is simple. You know, I do a whole bunch of freelance stuff uh, on a feature. How much harder can it be? But it's 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 a whole different ball game. People expect you yeah. to be a lot faster. You have to be more attentive and i i burn out about the second weekend like i was i was just so tired yeah and i think that's that's also kind of difficult for me to understand to wrap my head around so there are some people i just they i don't know how they sleep man i need i need sleep to function i get i feel ill when i don't sleep and uh i've seen these productions you know where they have to work around the story and this get in this in the locations and they have to work late nights uh early morning hours and you know, I get it. Um, it's, it's all for the sake of the production because you got to get it done within a certain amount of days. You know, you got a month to shoot this thing so it can go into editing. And, uh, you know, the constraints there are what's really tough. But, you know, and that's that's why I can't apply for most of those jobs. And, 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 I, and I get jealous of people who can. You know, I love seeing people succeed and i love seeing my fellow like filmmakers around the area succeed and do that like i'm i'm, a, I'm, I'm like their cheerleader in my mind because every time somebody does that and i don't really i don't really know if they even know who i am or know that i'm cheering them on but i am there are a few key people in this town and in, in birmingham and, and just all over alabama that i'm cheering for because i want to see them make it and i wish you know that they would make it so that i can make it <laughs> make it too <laughs> yeah actually on that note i do want to give a shout out to uh couple people who were very helpful and very accommodating whenever I worked on that that uh, feature. Um, I, I don't know if I can say the name of it because I don't know what the NDA covers, but uh, David Brower worked on it as the cinematographer. He was amazing. Uh, and then on the camera department, we had David Bagley um, and his son, Neil Bagley. And then we had a guy named Jay Galloway and then a guy named Sterling Andrews. Yes. Uh, and um, all of them were just great. That, that was the whole camera department. And it was fun working with them. And I, I, part of me feels like I wish I could have done better because I, I, I like those guys so much and I look up to them so much right now. And I, I don't know, they just felt like worth sharing. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I meant, I've recognized a couple of the names and I think David Brown, I only recently learned about who he is. and He's been doing it a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I, I look up to people like Bill and, and David and them because they've been doing it so long. It's like they didn't give up on that dream. You know, there are so many people I see, they have to move on and they have to stop doing it. And I'm like, okay, is that going to be me or am I going to be more like Bill and them? You know, they get to do it for a long time and keep a steady pace and not have to worry about leaving and coming back and doing that little dance. Um, you know, and I also, I think Sterling Andrews, he's another person I've recently um, learned about and I think he's in the Birmingham area. He reached out to me because uh, he's also a fellow, you know, red uh, filmmaker. Like he likes using red equipment, and I, I picked red because you know that just seemed like the best thing for the price. You know, at the time that we uh, purchased our equipment, and I, I loved it. But um, you know, you, you start feeling like there's a little bit of a tighter community centered around red. It's kind of odd um, mm -hmm. that, that I've that I've met so many people in Alabama that love shooting red. And Bill's one of those people. Sterling's one of those people I've, I've met online. I haven't met him in person, but I'd love to work with him one day. He's and, a, he's a walking yeah. encyclopedia of red. Like any any camera model you can name, he can give you the specs on it, like off yeah. off the top of his head. Yeah, and I I, I think that's <laughs> why red is so special is because um, 
like Aerie is kind of like to me it almost feels like the apple of the camera industry because it just works and i know that sounds really silly because i i people are on both sides of the fence like, oh android versus you know ios or mac versus windows you know whatever it may be um you know I, I think that Aerie works. It does it does its job. It delivers the product. And then Red is this different beast. It's like it provides this imagery that you can really make it shine or you can really make a make a terrible product with it. If you know what you're doing with it, you can make something fantastic. And it requires you to put a lot of technical effort into understanding the nuances of that equipment. So people like Sterling or, or anybody that really works with Red, you'll find that they start becoming encyclopedias knowledge because they have to. It's kind of like adapting to the equipment. Um, and there's a certain type of personality that gravitates towards Red equipment because I think it requires such a, a technical expertise and, and that kind of helps some people just have that yearning to learn, and I think that that's why that one goes so far because there's so much you can do with it before and after, you know, going into the shoot and then going into the post edit, you know, the edit and coloring situation with that is, is so much different to me than it would be on Aerie. And I think I know you do a lot of coloring, so do you have any like um, any feedback on which you like to color more? If you like to color with uh, IPP2 frame uh, a pipeline, or if you like working with the airy footage or what what do you like to color with the most honestly ever since i went all in on aces um camera choice has become less of an issue because they match so well uh, as long as it's, yeah. it's at least 12 bit or higher you know i've been able to just match like sony you know f5 that was shot through uh atmos to like an airy alexa uh mini before and it's it was really it's a really nice feeling to know that you can do that now versus having yeah. to sit there and just spend hours and be like all right you know well you, you can't really match the area so you get as close as you can um but i do like red's codec i I don't know much about the the cameras because I've only ever owned a Red One, um, and that was a while ago. And that thing was a completely different beast than what they've got now. <laughs> but I, I love Red Code because you can scale it to meet your system. You know, you, I'm not always available to do like you know big color grading on on my home setup, so I have to do, to work on a laptop. And with Red, you know, you can just instantly like drop it down to like one eighth quality for real time playback, and then scale it back up when you need to do you know more detailed color work. And it works on a laptop very well. Um, it's 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 light in terms of you know file size. Airy, you know, you shoot Airy raw, it's going to be like two three gigs a minute. Where with Red, you can you know usually keep it around ProRes size. So yeah, and, and that's what's funny is uh, a lot of people get into this resolution war with Red and Airy and all that. You know, Airy's now got the you know they got the Airy uh, I think Mini LF coming out mm -hmm. or is, it may already be out. I'm not sure, but it's coming. Um, and and you know you've got 4K file uh, full on sensors now and beyond. I even think they can, they have more capabilities and they're actually utilizing there. But um, you know people say, oh you don't need 8K. Oh you got 4K is enough and Aries doing that. And I'm gonna stick with that. And it's not really about that. And, you know there's a lot of uh, benefits to shooting 8K and all that. But the the big thing that I always found funny was that Aries, Aries um, the codecs that they use they're heavy it's they're it's almost like the same as shooting 8k I mean, in fact it's actually a little heavier uh, excuse you know, me sorry but you but you gotta i mean i'm looking at it from my perspective which was okay how much can i shoot on this cart how much till i have to offload it my my job on set is to make sure i can fit everything on the cards as we go and get everything you know captured and backed up so when i'm shooting red i never really had that issue i'm worried that if i went and picked up an airy camera uh, an airy mini lf or something like that that I'm going to be having to offload constantly 
and, and that's what's worrisome after looking at some of the data rates. Um, so you know, I was kind of curious on your point of view as a colorist, what you what you thought of it. But well, you know, it, if, if it, you want to if you want to get my opinion, difficult to say. If you want to get my opinion outside of of like dealing with aces and outside of like the codecs themselves, um, back before I got involved in using color managed systems and I was having to match everything by hand, which I don't recommend doing that. Uh, there are a lot of easier ways. So if you're somebody who's like, oh, oh I don't want to use, you know, any sort of help. Trust me, color management is is your friend. It's it's different from using lookup tables. Read up on Resolve Color Managed, Base Light Color Management, and on uh, Aces Color Space because they are infinitely more uh, productive than trying to sit and fiddle with clips to make the match. But on that note, um, one of the things that I liked about Aerie was how soft skin tones were. I don't know what they do with yeah. their their to to make that work. But something about skin tones, it's 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 a very subtle like softness and and the saturation falls off on the high end versus red where they tend to be overall saturated based upon like where in the image, you know, the the color tones are falling. So they they, they have like an overall uh, which is actually probably more filmic. Even though people say that Alexa is more filmic, red uh, on a technical level is probably doing this more filmically, where the higher it goes, the less saturation it has. The lower it goes, the more saturation it has. Where with Aerie, they tend to saturate each channel individually, which I find interesting. Yeah, and, you know, it's all about <laughs> perception. So at the end of the day, you know, if the client likes what you're putting out, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what camera we're on. And, and I think that's that's kind of the thing. At this point, it's becoming, you know... Uh, this brand war and i don't think it's worth the time i think um you know i think that you know i can make pleasing images with either camera i'd be happy to use an airy in fact i i'll, I'll say i'm kind of a fanboy of airy even though i don't own or operate any of them because i just love the look and and there's something about it um the skin tones probably are what i'm thinking about in my head a mm -hmm. lot of the time um and but, green you know, they they for some reason on airy they never capture true green it always pushes towards like a cool blue emerald color it it, yeah. it reminds me of like well, I don't know how much dealing with film you've ever done, but it reminds me of the way that Fuji Eterna used to be. Yeah, no, <laughs> but I've I've seen you know simulations of that particular you know film, uh, and, and and I like that. I like that look. It, it, the cooler look appeals to me personally. Mm -hmm. um, the glass the glass I use you know tends <laughs> to be warmer and kind of makes me mad sometimes, and I kind of shift things around. But um, I, I like I like the cooler look honestly. Um, so, you know, I, I've really, and I'm kind of curious, um, you know, cause I know that you do a lot of color work and everything like that, but, um, you know, as a cinematographer, I have to focus on, you know, making an image from, from the, from the inception to delivery, I have to make that image. And my, my job is extremely hard when you're on a small team like that, because you have to own every part of that image. You have to say, okay, did I put the light in the right place? Did I did the actor get frame right? Is the composition good? Are the colors good? Um, and and then I get to the post production, and I've spent so much time learning, honing my skills on doing lighting and composition and all that. And I got to go learn another skill in, in doing color work because a lot of the time the budgets that I'm working on don't allow me to go outside of our group to do color hiring. And you know, and that's the kind of thing I'm kind of trying to do now is. In my head, I'm like, okay, if I want to make a short film for myself, how do I budget for, you know, a colorist? I don't even know how to work with color workflow outside of our group because most of the time we have to self-color. It's not my favorite mm -hmm. thing in the world. You know, it's it's something I, I value because I see how much how much it can really help a story get told. Like something about that that work. It's 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 completely different mindset and way to approach things. 
and I see some super cinematographers, I call them super cinematographers because they can do everything and they know everything and it just drives me crazy because I don't have enough <laughs> room in my head to fit all that info. But, you know, how do you usually, what's the workflow for you when you get, um, when you're working with somebody and they deliver some, some data to you to be worked on? How are you working that? Because I usually work in Resolve for myself mm-hmm. um, and sometimes in Premiere when I have to. <laughs> But um, I, I've been trying to figure out what's the workflow. Like if I was to hire somebody outside of my group, go do that. What, what's your what's your take on that? Well, generally, whenever I have a client, they're either working in Avid or Premiere. Those are the, the two most popular NLE that I, I run into. And so the way that I usually run it, because I, I don't have an active Avid subscription, nor do I have an active Premiere subscription. I've let both lapse. Um, I'll get them to send me an XML of the project. Uh, along with the original files. And I prefer that as a uh, hard drive, but some people don't want to send hard drives. So we, we figure out, you know, Frame.io or Dropbox or some way to get the files to me. And then from there, I will have a uh, EDL as well that I can form at the beginning, just so I can always refer back to the original version of it. Um, because I, I, I'll take the XML and then just run with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Um, I don't know. It's, it's it's actually easier to get from another software into Premiere. I mean, into Resolve than it is to go from Resolve to other software. So I generally the the workflow for me is is to uh, you know just get the XML, get the original files, and then relink everything and make an EDL. Um, for the time when I I started off, I was using Baselight. Um, not the full fancy, you know, $20,000 base light system, but the, uh, the, the cheaper, like $300 base light inside of Avid system was where I, I got started doing color grading. And that was, that was a bit more complicated because we'd have to actually render out the entire film or project or video as a ProRes file or a, a DPX sequence, depending on whether or not, you know, the client could do DPX import it into Avid and then go in using their their notes where they had written what part of the time code had a cut and then recutting it from there and then I could grade, which was uh, not fun. It was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing. It's like, um, I, that's somewhere I want to improve on is understanding the workflow with colorists and I, I highly value the work that you all do um, because I think you can make or break a project with color. Um, and uh, I, I want to know the best way to approach it so that I'm not losing quality. So, you know, there's there's the way that where you're like, okay, let me provide the XML and the data, and then where does it go from there? Like, how do I get it back on a round trip from you? Do you have to render that out and then send it back to me as, as lossless as you can? Or is it where I can take it and, and you take it as XML and put it back to me? I, I just don't understand how that well, all works. And that's what's difficult is like, you know, like I said, there's so much to learn mm-hmm. in and without getting into that narrative industry and really working with people in post-production, it's hard for me to learn that stuff as a, as a, a you know, gun for hire. Usually the, the colorist is going to be the one who does the final output for the project, at least in my experience. Um, any titles and text you want to wait and do after you've got it colored. So the colorist will send back a work print type uh, file for you so you can do your, your transitions, your titles, etc. You'll send that back to the colorist. Um, I prefer to also get versions of the, the titles and text and any you know motion graphics work with transparencies, any compositing done with transparencies so that I can then go back and resolve, composite that and then color match. Um, but usually, you know, I, I, I like to have the final output 
just to keep the quality the highest. Uh, but if, if, if yeah, and that, that's what I was hoping to hear. <laughs> if there is the need for round tripping, though, it is it is entirely possible. You know, you can do image sequences like DPX. Um, you can render out. Um, I don't know if Resolve can do this, but uh, one of the versions of Baselight. It may not even be the one in Avid, but one of the versions of Baselight lets you render out a DNG sequence. Um, okay. So there there are ways to keep the quality uh, without you know, sacrificing anything, or you could just do a color decision list. And then if, you know, you're in resolve, I could do a CDL, send you the CDL and then have you just apply it to your footage back on your uh, system. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I didn't realize, you know, how many options there really were. And I think it's been improved. Like that's the thing about resolve. And I, I like the product itself. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it seems more and more like they've been focusing on the editing side of things lately. And that's been, making me want to make the switch from premiere to just a complete resolve uh, mm-hmm. uh workflow because you know I, I want to be able to pass you know stuff from me to alex gibson to whoever's editing and then pass it back to me and i can do all my color work at the end and even then you know uh you know it's light color work but i i, I want to be able to say oh you know what we want to make a change let's send it back to you but i don't have to worry about you know messing up the color stuff mm-hmm. um so i love the idea of having a complete you know suite everything in one small package so I don't have to worry about it anymore, especially with the one-time cost. You know, Premiere, having license, uh, licensing like per month is kind of a tough sell for me as well because, you know, there are months where, like you said, it's drier mm-hmm. and you're not really utilizing some of the software sometimes. Yeah, It feels like a waste. Adobe kind of made a big mistake, in my opinion, with their pricing because they, they price it as if you were going to upgrade with every new edition of Photoshop and Premiere and, and the full suite that's coming out. And no way. <laughs> per- personally, like back when I did use Adobe before CC came out, I had CS3 and then I jumped to CS6. So I, I never really upgraded unless I absolutely had to. Yeah. And, and I think that most people would feel the same way about it. And I think a lot of people get frustrated with the constant updates because it breaks features all the time in different areas and they want to deliver a product and, and to be a professional workflow, you have to be able to be consistent because they've got to work daily on that stuff and and i just don't see how they could do that like avid i don't know what their updates are like but i i thought that was industry standard for a long time in in avid you can you can opt out of updates and then manually yeah yeah so you can keep a keep a sterile system that's um, that's like with avid too when your subscription runs out you get to keep permanently the most recent version you had that's that's too cool yeah see i don't think premiere lets you do that (laughs) but yeah no i mean (laughs) there that that's the thing and and why I, you know, I, I get so interested in learning about how everyone works because I don't get to go on the big film uh, the sets, you know. I don't get to work on the bigger projects like everyone else does, and that's part of the the, the thing that you lose when you have a day job is the the ability to, to work with others that are really good at what they do. Because you're only really going to find the people that are great at what they do working in the industry constantly and i think those big projects you know when they come to town birmingham or wherever they may be shooting um you get you get a chance and an opportunity to learn from those people you should take full advantage of that and and bring that you know with you to the smaller groups around town and uh and and i'm you know i'm i love the the gear that we use and i love learning about the gear and everything but it's come to that point where it's all the same after a while i mean like 
a camera's a camera, a lens is a lens. After a while, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like less focused on that and more about the art of, mm-hmm. uh, of working on stuff, the lighting and how we're telling the story, the colors that I want to see and things like that. So I'm trying to gravitate away from uh, – gravitate more towards <laughs> the art side of things and telling the story than the technical side that I've been so focused on for so long. On the, the topic of like – not being so focused on the gear personally i'm impressed by a lot of the the newer like cheaper cameras that have come out i i, yeah. I got rid of my my red one mx and now i'm running the black magic pocket and to be honest with you it's about the same quality yeah uh so the pocket the original pocket cinema no camera, no, no the pocket 4k, 4K. The, the new pocket 4k yeah and, and i love that camera I, I mean i think bill schweikert has one i have mm-hmm. one you have one we they're so accessible and that's kind of a problem and it's like good <laughs> and bad they're so accessible that like um you know i picked it up and i was at first I, i'll put it this way after having the red monstro and shooting on it for so long and i love it uh that all the other cameras kind of fell short to me mm-hmm. uh any any mirrorless camera i used to shoot with i was like oh it's not as good like and i wasn't impressed but the longer i shot with the pocket 4k the, the more i started to like it and it grew on me and i'm kind of like okay i actually prefer it for some jobs over over the red because of it how small it is and mm-hmm. how quickly i can pick it up and move and how the and i love the color science i don't know what it is about it but it's just cool um and so that is a i don't know the accessibility though makes it difficult because you get a whole slew of new folks that don't either don't know what they're doing or have a lot of questions and and you got a communities built around it and there's so many little arguments mm-hmm. with, within everybody and i'm like okay we're back to square one on on the on the technical side of things where everyone's fighting because everyone wants to start at the same ground level and and grow but nobody wants to help them I, that's why <laughs> then, I, I i love this technology though because I've, I've come in and i'm part of a group called color grading central and i'm also in a pocket 4k group and it's fun to yeah. help people because they remember you and and it's been interesting yes. to see people like actually look towards me with some sort of authority i've never had that before in my life <laughs> well and and i and I, i'm part of a lot of those same groups and but i'll also see people that are like get this message or this post out of here this is that you go search yeah you know it's out there and then you know that's not really that helpful and, and i see i get kind of where they're going they're coming from at the same time i don't because you're discouraging folks and that's part of the problem is like um because it's become so accessible there's no more paywall Mm-hmm. Um, so quality is so high nowadays, mm-hmm. and there's no paywall that anyone can pick up that camera and start making pretty images. <laughs> um, very easy to do, but you you got to find people that'll tell your story, and that's why I think every there's not one person <coughs> job, and that's why I don't get mad about losing out on jobs. Mm-hmm. It's because you're not always the right person for the job. There's there's somebody that's maybe less experienced, but they have the right look. You know, they they have this, this thing they've worked out for themselves, where they have a good look on the camera, or or you know, maybe that you're the right colors for the job because you've colored a bunch of different films in a certain way, and they just like the way your product ends up looking at the end. And it, and and that's what it comes down to. It's like okay, this paywall is gone. You got all this white noise from all these inexperienced people coming in and saying, "I can shoot that for you, and I can do it cheaper." Um, and it makes it difficult for people like you know us to get hired to do things that we've already been doing. But I also love that it's forcing us to be more creative because it's saying, "Okay, well, how do I stand out?" <laughs> um, and it's making us look at things a little differently, like being able to focus on the story. How am I moving the camera to make sure I'm telling the story well? Or um, you know, what what do I need to do to appeal to my client more by offering something better or being more agile and be able to produce something quicker or better overall. Um, so your experience has to speak for you. And I think that's a good thing. So I, I think that, 
you know, with all these people and all the white noise, it can be frustrating because you, you, you want to stand out. But you got to force yourself to look at and, and own yourself and own the problems that you have and say, OK, where am I lacking? Um, what do I have to get better at to make sure that I stand out and I get the jobs that I want? Is it lighting? Is it color? Is it uh, movement? What is it? Um, and so I've actually, you know, been trying to focus on getting better rather than staying stagnant. Okay. Um, I just realized that this is probably the longest interview I've done so far. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause we're, we're coming up on the one hour mark. <clears throat> we're good whenever you want to go. Um, no, I mean, talking. it's, it's fine. We can keep talking. It was just like, a, I, I looked at the clock and, and realized, you know, that, yeah, normally, you know, we'd be wrapping up by now, but this is, this has been fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Huh. And I love having people to talk to about gear. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's like, um, I love the film community because it brings you around all these creative people that want to do something similar. I I love film. I love watching them. I like making them. I like hearing people's stories. Everyone has something unique to tell. And I, I, I truly believe that if you're a filmmaker, you have this yearning to tell something, a story, and you love hearing stories. And I think that everyone has a story that is purely them. I think I think we should you know, be worried if we're making the same movie over and over. I think what we should be doing is making that movie that only uh, Bill Cosby can make or uh, or RJ can make. It's it's just a movie that wouldn't exist unless I existed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to focus on now. I'm spending a long time honing out, like, this story and, and showing it to a few people at a time and getting things going, you know, and I'll work on scripts here and there, and, and I'm trying to make something special. And I, I really love that about the film community because when you find some people that are really helpful, like you were saying, you like to help people on the Color Grading Central or the Pocket Cinema camera groups, mm-hmm. uh, and they remember. I remember when people helped me. Like uh, I, I've, I've sent out my script to a few different people, and they helped me a little bit here and there, and it's kind of become this uh, – it's become better for it. And, and that's the thing. It's like I know when I found somebody – like that I can trust in, in a filmmaker when they give me their honest opinion, when they're not <laughs> out trying to beat me out for the next, next best job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're really just trying to say, Hey, this would make it better. And, um, and they don't have any ulterior motives. Um, and, and, and when I see that, I feel, you know, a little bit better, you know, like it's kind of redeeming um, in this, in this online world where everyone's kind of nasty towards each other about, Oh, you're, you're noob. You don't know what you're doing. Or, um, you know, anyone with that paywall, there's no more paywall. Anyone can have a, grab a camera, make something pretty, but what's making your story special. So I, I think it's a good way for us to look in the mirror. I think it's, it's great to bring us together and we need to say, okay, when somebody actually reaches out to try to help you, like remember them, bring them on uh, to the next project you're working on, because it's important that we that we gravitate towards the people that want to help us get better, and we want to help them get better. Uh, and that's the way we're going to build a great community here in the South. It's it's not really there yet. I think Birmingham's finally starting to grow as a film community. I know Atlanta's been doing a lot mm-hmm. of great things, but I want to see us continue to grow and tell great stories out of Alabama because I think it's a unique place to tell the stories and, and the perspective that we have. Yeah, Birmingham has been interesting to hear the stories about it because apparently there have been there, there's been some drama uh, between different people in different groups uh, in, in the Birmingham area, um, and it's it's been interesting to to hear the the story and then also like I worked with some of the people that you know there's 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 drama about and my experience is completely different from the people you know who who have these issues. I'm not saying that you know they didn't have these issues. It's just interesting to see. 
the community itself forming I don't want to say this. It's interesting to see that that um despite the 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 rockiness that that you know the the film community in Alabama and the film community in Birmingham has had, people are still get going out there and working and people are still trying to, you know, do better than last time. They're still trying to put their best foot forward even if they don't necessarily have such a great reputation. And I like yeah. I like how forgiving the community has been too because um, once again, I, I can't say the name because he was the director of the last project I worked on, but he's a guy who doesn't necessarily have the best reputation. But in my experience, I mean, he's done right by me and the people who worked with him, like, you know, David Brower, who I, I can say his name, uh, you know, he he <laughs> he worked with this guy. You know, he's a bit hesitant at first, but, you know, he worked with this guy and, and gave him a shot and he delivered. Yeah, and, and I think that you have to prove yourself um, consistently. And there are people that are looking for opportunities to bound Matthew because they, they, I think they seek value mm-hmm. in being able to put others down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're without just cause. There is possibility that every once in a while you're going to have a bad situation. Creative work, uh, you have to have some tough skin because mm-hmm. somebody's going to come along and say, I don't really like your perspective. I think we should go this direction. And you're going to get your feelings hurt because – Creative work always requires that emotional side of you. Um, you. You put a little piece of yourself in it, and that's what it is. It's like the, uh, the amalgamation, like this every part of an experience in your life telling a story or, or giving your input on something creative. And when somebody comes and shuts that down, you're going to get PO'd. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going you're gonna, to uh, look at them and take it personally, and, and that, that's not what you need to do. Then you need to have tougher skin. You just say, okay. Uh, you know, maybe I had a bad experience. I didn't get paid by so and so, or uh, this and that. You know, it, it's better to work that out with them. And if you can't, you know, keep it keep it private. I think yeah. that's a that's a big thing. And I notice and I've seen that from a few people. People that tend to surround themselves with the drama or dramatic stuff, people shy away from working with them. They lose mm-hmm. out on opportunities because they want to fight with everyone online or or, or say this and that about each other. Mm-hmm. I think the people that stand out and, and matter to me are the ones that kind of keep to themselves and do their job and do it well and and don't try to start things. And if they have a problem, they work it out quietly and amongst themselves. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody's consistently uh, hurting others, you know, using them, doing things like that. Yeah, I guess it should be brought to the attention of you know whoever else. But I think that should be a group thing where okay, this many people got involved. I think that we can get those people together and start having a conversation and figuring out something. But going online and starting this argument and, and things like that, it only tends to make people not want to work with you. I, it's I, not always a good thing. It could work in your favor, but that's a big gamble. I feel like, especially if it's a pay situation, there's two ways to handle it. You either take care of it behind the scenes or you take care of it with legal means. And that yes. should be that. And both of those aren't online. Yeah. <laughs> Where everyone has an opinion and, and not necessarily <clears throat> any good legal advice for you. So, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> a legal matter. Um, and, and that should be a last effort uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's uh, you should be able to work it out with somebody, especially if other people have had a good experience with you. Uh, if, if, if 5% of the people that have worked with this person are saying, Oh, he's terrible or he and she, or they're doing this to me. Um, you know, it, you got to wonder, okay, what about that other 95%? Why aren't they saying anything negative? It's probably because they had a fine experience. Nothing really bad happened. And every once in a while, we're going to have creative differences or we're going to have an issue come, come up. I, I think we should have benefit of the doubt there and say, okay, uh, 
you know, maybe they're they're having a tough time figuring it out, or there's timing issues, you know, things like that. I I, I worked on a project um, where we I spent a lot of my personal time working on it as a cinematographer, and it never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people people working on it, there was a lot of money spent. Uh, the director passed away. I mean, what can you do? Um, that the project kind of died with him, and it was unfortunate. And I and, I, and I'm I'm sad. I, I wish I could dedicate something to him soon, but at the same time, you know, it's you know, you gotta you gotta take your losses and and say, okay, did I learn something from the project? Yeah. Can I at least take that with me? So I didn't get paid for a lot of work I did, and at the end of the day, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, my wife wasn't happy that I didn't get paid, and I was away from my family a lot, but I learned a lot as a cinematographer on that, as a storyteller, and on the production side of things. Um, you know, it was the, it was the only feature film I've ever worked on <laughs> mm-hmm. and never got to see the light today. It's very, um, very sad to hear that because a lot of people put their time and effort into it. And, I'm, and I feel more, I feel worse for them. The other people that put their time and effort into it than my own. Um, but I have to look at it in a positive way. Okay. Maybe I didn't get paid for that project and it didn't work. It didn't work out. But what, what did I earn? What did mm-hmm. I do? Uh, what can I gain from that project? Well, I feel like with narrative stuff, just working on it is always a risk because there is no guaranteed return on that investment. <clears throat> and, yeah, and, and that's why you got it. It's hard to take deferred pay. Deferred pay is hard mm-hmm. to, because you got to really bet on yourself, the ability of the crew that you're working with. And then the story that you're telling, you got to say, okay, is this even a, is this, is this going to have a large audience? Mm-hmm. Like, is, is anyone going to buy this thing? I mean, and, <laughs> You know that, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get somebody to buy these films so that they can they can enjoy them and then get it to a larger audience and then see some return on that investment. I mean, like even though the I had a lot of fun working on the feature, and you know everybody did right by me. <clears throat> the particular movie that we worked on was very niche in its its appeal, and so I, I personally wonder where it's going to end up if it's ever actually going to get purchased by any distributor. Um, but that's um, just I, that's I just the risk. Generally, hear about that <clears throat> with horror films. Yeah, um, that that's a niche market. It's very odd, but well, that's ex- it, that's exactly that's exactly it, what this was. It was a horror film. Yeah, and it, it exists. <laughs> I mean, there's there are types of movies that people want, and there's an art style to them that's different and unusual. And I think that's why it it actually works out works out okay because these there are fans. They're like rabid fans for mm-hmm. these kinds of films. Uh, it, you you wonder, okay. This, I can't go tell the, the fifth grader down the street about this movie <laughs> and say, hey, go watch my movie. You can't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might go to a convention and some people like, I loved your film. It was the best thing I ever saw. And you're like, that that's the same film that we just talked about? <laughs> I can't tell somebody else about it, but I can tell you. I can't tell my coworkers about this film. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, honestly, I, I think there's a market for almost every story. You just – you got to find the right way to tell it. Not every story needs a full-on feature film production. Sometimes they're just meant to be short. Sometimes they're meant to be stories that are, you know, a, bo- a book, you know, whatever it may be. So I think that the horror, though, is, is such a strange market because it, it's, like, lately becoming um, uh, such a high-grossing thing. And it's kind of cool to see that kind of grow. Um, but, like, there's that B-horror that's really niche and, and i think that i've seen a lot more of that around here yeah i mean that's that's what i would count this as is b horror it's like it's a horror movie that to be honest with you from talking with the script writer it, it seemed like it was meant to be so bad it's funny yeah no and i i think that there's a huge appeal for that and i can't lie i like horror films i like weird ones sometimes and that's that 
could appeal to me. So depends on what the project is, and if it came out great, I'll, I'll probably want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. There's so many things I want to talk about, but I'm not sure how to word them for a podcast. Because <laughs> um, I'd like to pick your brain about the the day job that you have, which is working with NASA. Well, I mean, I can go into detail on that a little bit. So, um, I, currently, I'm a contractor over at NASA. Uh, I do software test engineering, and what, what basically I'm working on is hopefully will never see the light of day because uh, a lot of what I'm working on is about the, the errors that or abort <laughs> messages that they may see a pilot may see um, on a mission. And really, um, if my job is done right. And if everyone does their job right, uh, they'll never see anything related to what I'm working on. And that would be a good thing. Uh, no failures, uh, full mission success. So I'm just basically ensuring that if there's an error or some kind of warning or abort message that somebody might get, um, you know, that they're going to properly see that on display and that they can make a decision based on that. Um, <laughs> and, and that's my day job. I mean, like. I find a lot of purpose in doing that, and I love—I <laughs> just love space exploration. Uh, I love seeing a lot of the competition that's coming up because it's kind of forcing NASA to, you know, step their game up and really start using the budget wisely and doing things like that. I know there's a lot of negativity surrounding the space launch system that I'm working, and it worries me. And I'm saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm newer to the project. I only started last year um, working on this project, and. Uh, I think that um, we're doing a great job. I think everyone that around me is is trying to strive for something great, but you know it, the money and the time that we've spent on it is kind of uh, difficult to justify sometimes. So um, we're nearing the completion of that project, um, I guess for the first launch next year, and that's my day job. And it, it feels great to know that some of that stuff I can apply to what I do. I mean, it's the the agile process. I mean, I work with you know, pre-production a lot of times and a lot of the software development side of things, um, kind of go hand in hand with that. Um, you're developing a product and you want to make sure that you get it done on time. And that's, and that's kind of helped me along in the process of doing pre-production with my team. We, we utilize a lot of that same practice in what we do. We plan, we, we have, well, I don't necessarily do a burn down chart or anything like that, like you would, uh, for software development, mm -hmm. but we'll say, okay, here's your piece of the pie. Let's make sure we get it done by this date. And then we check in with each other and say, okay, what hurdles do you have? What, what's going on? Uh, how can we help you get those done? You know, things like that. So my day job, uh, definitely <laughs> pays the bills. It's great. Um, I feel fulfilled in doing it, but, uh, it also helps me do what I do for the film side of things. It makes me do them better. Um, uh, being able to, to use that process to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually something that hopefully, you know, this this podcast does go beyond just the immediate sphere of people around me. But that that is an interesting thing, too, because you, you have a very successful, very fulfilling day job and you still do the video production and the filmmaking on the side. <clears throat> yeah. And a lot of people like it, my, me, whenever I was in college, I got caught up in the idea of like, this is what I want to do. I want to tell stories. I want to make films. And I compromised my ability to make a living by just pursuing that exclusively. And I, I, I envy people who have well-paying day jobs, you know, because I'm having to scramble and try to find out, well, what, what can I do for, with, with my degree? You know, what can I do aside from minimum wage jobs? Because I don't necessarily want to go back to, like, you know, working at Walmart or waiting tables or something like that. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, 
it's a thing that I feel like younger people who are just getting into this need to know is that, you know, it is hard to make a living at this, but it's also perfectly fine to do this on the side and have, you know, a day job. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think everyone's going to find their happy place with this um, because there are some people who just can't do the day job thing. They just can't. And, and they want that creative outlet and they have to have it constantly. That's OK. You can find your balance. Um, I don't really gauge success on how much money you make or, um, you know, what you know prestigious place you work at. I don't gauge it on that. If somebody told me and, I, and I've said this to multiple people, if somebody said, I want to live in a van, play music to people, and that will make me happy, and they're doing it, I would consider them more successful than me because <laughs> if they've met their goal, right, um, they're happy in life, and that's ultimately all we got is, is how happy are we uh, doing what we're doing. And so you know, I, the film stuff, the reason I keep doing it and on top of my day job <laughs> is because it makes me happy. Um, I, I, I've always dreamt about doing it. Um, I had a teacher in middle school that got me into filmmaking and he he didn't know it at the time but he kind of changed the course of my life because I, I kept gravitating towards it i would i would move away from it for a little bit and i'd keep coming back and having the people that i joined up with like alex and them they pushed me to keep working at it and it's the only reason i haven't left it is because um they they keep fulfilling that need that that creative you know side of things and it's nice to have a group to work with being a lone wolf sucks mm-hmm. having people that you can work with day to day and having a support system it's key to everything that i do so i would say if i was going to give any advice to younger filmmakers or anyone who aspires to do film, it's to you know find a way to support yourself be happy in doing what you're doing <laughs> ultimately you got one life to live um you're going to find the balance that you need to but don't be dumb <laughs> make good decisions for yourself and the, the level of family that you have and your responsibilities make good choices to do that because if you're constantly stressing yourself out and you're scrambling to find the next job, you know, to pay the bills for the month on top of being creative, you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to be creative. You're going to be constantly stressed out and you're not going to be able to do it. And then you're going to have to walk away from it. Find the balance. And, and then when you find that balance, you'll know it and then keep pursuing your dream. Keep doing it. And I'm going to keep pursuing my dream. I mean, I, I got tons of dreams I still want to fulfill, um, and I'm not going to stop, but never stop learning. That's the other side of things. Never get complacent and stop learning because when you do and you say, I know enough, um, that's when other, other people are going to zoom right past you, and they're going to stand out way beyond what you are, and they're going to get all the jobs that you want to get. So mm-hmm. keep on learning. Strive to get better every day, and then make sure you find that happy balance in your life where you're not constantly having to stress about the, the life you live in order to and, and sacrificing the creative side of things to do that i actually find it funny because like you mentioned the the when you get complacent people zoom past you thing because this kind of fits in with like seeing george and and see creative blow up because i i was in tuscaloosa and i, I got my degree and i graduated in 2016 and i was doing work up up in tuscaloosa and i had decided that you know okay the market's dead i'm not finding much work i'm gonna move elsewhere and so i went to montgomery and then i moved to maryland meanwhile he stayed in tuscaloosa and kept playing with that market and then boom look at what he's done with it i'm just like geez maybe i should have stayed <laughs> well i think that uh, that market exists in a lot of the areas like tuscaloosa huntsville has a booming market and the thing is is if you sit still um you're not going to find it. It's not going to find you for sure. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to go out and find it. I, I applaud I, Alex. I got a shout out to Alex because he's been doing such a great job getting people to recognize what they need. 
he's like, okay, um, he'll, he'll find somebody who's like, hey, I think you might need this. And they'll be like, hey, maybe I do. <laughs> and, and, they'll, and they'll think about it and reach out to us later. Sometimes we'll plant a small seed, and I think that's why I like seed creative saying. <laughs> and sometimes we actually plant a little seed, and it grows. Mm-hmm. We've had an opportunity to shoot something two weeks ago, I think, or last week. It was for an Oak, Oakwood alumni event. And it was because we got recommended by somebody. Mm-hmm. That that was recommended by it, it. It followed back to about a year and a half ago. We did a free project for somebody, and to help them out, and it kind of grew, and it's gotten us a few jobs. And that's that's what we're starting to see is uh, as we started this business uh, from the inception, and even before that, some of the little seeds that we planted back then are still paying out now, and and we can we can trace it back through every person that's we've come along. Uh, come along with along the way um, somebody recommending you or word of mouth or somebody seeing your project on on an offhand thing like oh I saw your commercial for this or that um, so I think that's what George is doing very well he has a, he's planted these seeds and he's growing his business word of mouth speaks um, a lot of his work speaks for itself because if he does a good job he's going to get, get those people to come back to him they're not going to go look elsewhere unless he's doing a bad job mm-hmm. so I think he's doing good, consistent work. I think he's planted those seeds and that he's also looking for work. He's finding work and creating yeah. it for himself. And I think that's another thing. It's like creating work for yourself, um, That that's necessary in our area because, you know, it can be dry. Yeah, creating work for myself has always been like my my weakest link, uh, especially if it's, if, if it's a client or a group of clients that – maybe don't even think about advertising or making video um, because I do a lot of work with small businesses. And so for me, like selling to small businesses, it kind of feels like you're ripping them off sometimes. So I get cold feet or I get like, you know, hesitant or they can tell by my demeanor that, you know, maybe I'm not completely in on it. And so I just lose that potential sale right there because I'm not, I, I don't feel like, you know, they necessarily need to spend the money even though they do need the service. And so I, I personally, I'm, I'm fascinated by people who can, make it worth the customer's while and still be successful with, with small business advertising. Cause that's, that's mostly what seed does is small business and, and charities and, and local chamber of commerce stuff. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I think you have to kind of disconnect yourself from the emotional side of things. Say, um, you know, okay, can I meet their needs within their budget, you know, figure out what their budget is and then go from there. But I, I think that, you know, I, we've met a few small businesses and worked with them, and you know, sometimes you can feel like, okay, did you need to spend this money on this at this time? Mm-hmm. Some businesses are wiser than others in how they spend their money. You know, it's it shows, but um, you know, with businesses that come and go constantly. <laughs> um, but you know, in in our area, uh, at least in Huntsville, uh, you know, the businesses there are a lot of startups. Um, there's a lot of opportunity and they need marketing and without the marketing they're going to die early because no one knows who they are and this is a large and filmmaking at least in the commercial sense is a business to business market i mean you're you're a business that provides services to businesses even music videos are a business to business thing because at the end of the day a band's trying to get their marketing out so that they can get hired to go do more gigs or shows or whatever it may be or get signed to a label and then sell a product um and that's that's a business so we have to look at it and say okay i'm not worried about whether or not they're small or large or anything like that i just got to know what their budget is and can i meet their need within the budget and disconnect yourself from that emotionally and say okay 
you know, don't get the cold feet because all they can do is say no. And then you just walk away. I mean, like, uh, there's nothing to lose there. I think that, um, maybe, you know, even then they, they can, they could probably sense it Mm -hmm. and say, okay, maybe, maybe, uh, I'm sensing that he's not sure that we should spend the money. Maybe we should don't, don't look at it from that perspective. Look at it from, okay, how can I help you with the money you were willing to spend and, and fit that need there? Um, and, and tell them that and be honest. I think that being honest is like is key to developing relationships with really small businesses because they're trying to, uh, you know, grow just like you are. Um, and the more that you help each other out, like kind of create a symbiotic relationship where they're recommending you to their friends, but you're also doing great work and helping them get noticed by new audiences and new clients. I mean, it, it's a great relationship you can build. And if you start with the small businesses like you've been trying to do, I think you can create, you can grow with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, I'm not great at the, the getting and winning those jobs and not necessarily because I'm not able to do it. I think I'm more than capable of selling a product to them and getting them to buy on. It's finding their need. And I think that's what Alex does best. I think he's really good at making sure that they recognize the need that they have and then sticking to it. And I think that's George's, you know, uh, uh, strong suit too. Um, I think that they work well together. I, I've seen them communicate a lot on video makers want to make money or something like that. I can't remember what the name of the group is. It's long. <laughs> the name of it's long, but, um, uh, I, I really love that because I don't have to worry about that as much because Alex is helping take care of that side of business. And I, and I really think that's helpful. I don't know if you work with a group of people or not, but, filmmaking is so collaborative it makes sense that everything you do as a small business for filmmaking requires kind of a team as well and finding somebody that's like-minded and works well together that's hard to do but i got very lucky i feel blessed to have alex and his wife jennifer and joshua on my team because they're all very honest with me and we're all on the same page when we work on projects and we we're all willing to go the extra mile for each other to make sure that we get the job done because not only do we want uh to make money obviously at the end of the day we want to make some money so we can keep doing the thing we love is making films um we can provide our customers with really good good products and uh i I think that's something that we can take pride in like there's an ethical side of that too and alex and jennifer and joshua always push me and to strive for my best because i want our our clients to be happy and i want to be proud of what we do so having a team man I, i i wish everyone could have a team like i have a team yeah, unfortunately for me, I do most of my work solo. I had uh, a couple of people I collaborated with in Tuscaloosa, one of them being a, a guy named Morgan Wilson. Um, but I've never really had like a solid team that I could always call on and rely on and collaborate with on a regular basis, except for a brief stint of time where I worked uh, with WCOV. They have uh, they have their own creative services group called Studio 20, and what they're doing over there is interesting and fascinating, but it was also, at the time, way too fast-paced for what I was able to do. Yeah, and so I think that's why I like working with my group is because we're, and I hate the words weekend warriors, but we mainly work weekends together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do our day jobs. We all kind of work on the arsenal, um, and then on the weekends we pick up a gig here and there, and we do them, and we don't stress about okay, did we, are we getting enough gigs? Are we doing this or that? No, we're 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 growing at a very organic pace. Uh, we've definitely grown this year. We love uh, the work that we do. Um, we love the people that we get to meet and work with. I mean, I love filmmaking for that reason. I get, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm very social, 
and I get to get out there and meet all sorts of new people and, and communicate with them. And I love seeing them happy with their product and having my team there for me. Um, you know, it's just the best feeling in the world. Um, I really wish you could find somebody like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that you could find somebody where you could focus on just, you know, what you like about the business. If you like doing coloring or if you wanted to get into another uh, certain type of thing or, or a position that you want. Um, I think that it is a collaborative effort. We have to work and, and working solo can, it almost feels like you could burn out pretty easily. Um, and, and so I, I don't know if that's for everyone. I don't know if that's something you want to strive for is, is finding a group that you can work I mean, with. I know we'll be happy to, if you want to do coloring with us, we would love for you to help us with absolutely. coloring. Absolutely. We can, we can I, talk about that because I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of being able to just focus on what I'm good at because I, I feel like the more I do solo work, the more I realize what I'm not good at and taking time to learn that is pulling away from the things I want to learn. Well, that's why I said, you know, the coloring side of things, I recognize that I don't have time to learn that and get great at it. Um, I, I want to be focused on the cinematography and getting good at that and staying good at it and, and learning and, and growing. I can't be everywhere all at once. People mm-hmm. ask me like, Oh, well, why don't you do drone work? It's because I know Dave Cooper, Dave Cooper, uh, Cooper does a lot of drone work for us when we hire him and he's good at what he does. I don't need to go learn how to do that. Dave's already good at it. He's also, <laughs> why, do I, why do I want to be the Jack of all trades and master of none? Dave, Dave Cooper is an interesting name to bring up because he's also set up to be one of my guests in the future. Man, he is so fantastic. He's got a great personality. It's funny because he came into um, – we have a, a film co-working night that we do, uh, a film group that we work with. And every once in a while, I'll pop in there and try to help out or, or do something, you know, and, and I, the social side of thing. like I'm drawn to it still. But Dave came in the other day, and he was just like, yeah, this is my twin brother, RJ. <laughs> and it, and it kind of made sense. I was like, yeah, I think we're very similar in our personalities. And, and he's, a, he's a big, tall guy, and I feel like I'm a bigger guy, and, and we kind of get along and – carry ourselves in a similar way we just joke around and I, I like him i think you'll i think i'll have fun with him i look forward to it yeah absolutely and he's great at his craft and that's the thing it's another for another paywall drones everyone mm-hmm. has a drone everyone can afford a drone but not everyone's good at shooting that you can tell when somebody doesn't know what they're doing and uh, when i watch Dave, dave's footage i'm always blown away i'm like that looks awesome he's good at what he does I mean, I just and I'll see somebody else's, and I'll and I see all these people like when somebody posts about drone work online, and I see ten million names pop up, but Dave's is somewhere in the middle. I'm like, man, they don't even know Dave's in there, <laughs> and I know he's the right person for that job. Like, I I just recently purchased a drone, and yeah, it's fun, but I may have to sell it because I don't know if I can make money with it, just because the Part 107 test is such a huge hurdle to get over. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of those things. It's kind of like getting a job on the arsenal. Do you have a secret clearance? Do you have the, <laughs> do you have the training? Like, once you have that, you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's easier to get the jobs. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those hurdles I don't want to have to deal with. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, I could, buy, I could go buy a drone and start learning and, and maybe get good at it if I spent the time. Uh, but it's just not something I need to do. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm coming to realize as I grow as a filmmaker is that I can't do every job and I don't need to. I need to start learning to trust other people that can do their job well and let them focus on it. And they can trust them that we know what to do and that we can all collaborate and work well together. And I think that's that's the big thing that we need to do as a community is start relying on each other and say, okay, I'm not I'm not the best person to do every job on this project. I need to start giving out some jobs here and there. And that's what I would want to do with you know with you with coloring 
And that's what I want to be able to do with other people, you know, with drone stuff with Dave Cooper and stuff like that. Because I don't want to, I, I think as you get experience, you realize I don't have to spend the time doing that. I can, I can stay on my track and, and get better. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I'm, I'm just thinking about like all the things that I have to do now. <laughs> um, because yeah, like running solo is, is, it's very different from having a, having a group. Um, even though working at WCOV was very fast paced, like we were pulling in six, seven contracts a day. Sometimes, you know, I was, oh, I yeah. was, I was working with them technically as a subcontractor, but they were looking at having me be the creative director if things worked out. Uh, I was there for about four months and in the four months I did 38 videos. Oh my gosh. And they ranged from like 30 second shorts to like full half hour infomercials. Oh my gosh, that's 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 a lot of work, man. <laughs> and we, we, I mean, it wasn't just in Montgomery. Like we were going up to Montevallo. We did a thing with American Village. We went to Birmingham once. It was, it was, yeah. Like I'd get there in the morning, and we had projects that we had already scheduled. But then you never know when a phone call would come in, and then somebody's like, "Hey, we need you here now." And so we had to just pack up and go. Yeah, I think that's a little more cutthroat than I'm even used to, um, and and anything that I've ever done on the weekends. And, I, and that's why I like the the pace that I figured out with our group, uh, we, we generally say, okay, every once in a while we'll have a weekend off and we just burn it with our families. Uh, that sounds like a day job that it becomes less creative and more, it was uh, a job. And that, and that, that's when you start really burning out on being able to be creative. Like, making side of things. I had a little whiteboard and then whenever I, my first day and I wrote on it, every, every spot is a short story. And then by the time I left, that had been completely erased and it was just filled with like timetables and, and, you know, deadlines <laughs> and, and how much, you know, uh, budget had gone over. And we had, because everything was so fast paced, like our salespeople didn't always have the opportunity to follow back up with clients. So we would have to also double check and make sure that, you know, um, billing and, 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 um, you know, invoices had been sent out and that things had been paid. And, and sometimes we had clients who would come back to us a second time, despite the fact that, that, you know, they had never paid on the first project and they knew that because I was new, they could try to pull one over on me. And so I'd have to like catch these people and make sure, Hey, did they pay on the last project? Cause it's a new client. Um, it was, it was, it was crazy. I, I ran wide open. Uh, there were frequent nights where I would go into the office cause I was, I was, it was a nine to five with the exception of like shoots that we had scheduled beyond that. But there were frequent days I would go into the office and I'd come in at, you know, it's eight in the morning and then I'd stay there until like 3 a.m. Just doing paperwork and emails and making sure that, you know, budgets were, were balanced for projects. Um, uh, Man, my, my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom, the last of my grandparents passed away. And on the day of her funeral, I had to leave the funeral and immediately head to Montgomery because we had a shoot and there was not enough people working there that they could do it without me. Yeah. And, and it sounds like they grew too fast. Mm -hmm. um, they may have been successful. Some people really shine in those moments they they overcome mm -hmm. um i don't think i'd be one of those people for that kind of work um and that's probably why i do what i do and only work weekends <laughs> because i have to be able to go to a funeral you know stuff happens uh, but you have to be able to mourn and separate yourself from what you're doing and focus on your family and that sounds that sounds a little too tough you know, for most people, I think that it would it would suck the creative juice out of me. Every story, every I mean that that symbolism there with the the whiteboard, what? every every short you know thirty second thing is a story. You know, being erased over time. I mean that 
that's crazy, man. That's that almost feels like a movie. <laughs> yeah, the, the, so, the thing is, is like the, the thing that led me to quit. Sorry for interrupting, but I feel like this is no, important. To me. The moment that led to me quitting was we had a project where just about everything that could go wrong did go wrong, even down to our production vans brakes not, not working like the brakes went out. We had a battery. It's just a regular V-mount battery. Worked fine on every shoot we had. We used it the day before. Didn't hold a charge. We couldn't get it to charge. So we had to deal with like wall power and trying to go and run and buy a bunch of extension cables and that inconvenienced the client. Uh, you know, we sent the drone up without the, the the memory card because, you know, we were just scrambling to try to make up for lost time because we were late getting there because of the production van. And, you know, it, it was it was a nightmare. It was a bad project. It, it didn't hurt the company, but the salesperson who scored that contract, whenever the client said, hey, you know, we're not happy with your performance, we're not going to pay. Um, I didn't realize this until that moment, but the, the sales team had their pay tied to how successful they were. And if a client ever pulled out, then they owed back whatever salary they had gotten for that month until they can find another client. And she had a daughter that had just been born like a couple of weeks before, you know, all this went down. Uh, and she had, you know, because of the schedule being so tight, like she had to cut her maternity leave just so she could be back at work because we had so many projects going on. And the fact that like she's got this newborn and then here I am, you know, as part of the team that I feel responsible for because I was the one who was supposed to eventually be team leader, even though I wasn't at the time, you know, I felt responsible for her suffering and, and having the money, you know, and, and that, that was the moment I was like, I can't I can't do this. Like, I, it's hard enough to do this and, and be responsible for myself. I can't be responsible for other people and keep this this pace. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's like I said, that's why I do what I do. That's why I, I've found the balance that I like to have. There are there other people I know in, in our similar circles that do this day to day, and I applaud them because it's tough. I don't know how they do it. I think you just have to find your balance, and they have, and I have. And I'm not, I'm not going to say any one path is the right one. You have to find that for yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I probably have to cut this no, one that's, out now. But, that's that's um, fine. I'm happy to continue talking any other time. Um, I really enjoy talking to you. Uh, like I said, it's it's easy to get caught up in this stuff because I'm very passionate about what I do. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's my dream to make a feature film that it, like it's on my bucket list. Mm -hmm. I one day I one day want to be able to go to a movie theater in town and buy a ticket to a movie I worked on. <laughs> That's it. Um, and and be able to go like to the Monaco or Cineplan or you know Touchdown whatever we got around town. I want to be able to go to that movie theater and buy a ticket and go see that movie and go see my my name my name in the credits. You know I think that's mm -hmm. that's my bucket list item top notch thing. If I if I had a stretch goal for the bucket list, it would be to get an Oscar. But I don't know if I ever will. I, I mean I I, <laughs> I think getting into a fe getting work on a feature as long as you know. Alabama keeps growing. It will become possible because stuff is eventually going to move up towards the Huntsville area. The question is, will it get a theatrical release? Because I feel like I mean, this is a whole different topic of discussion, but I, f I feel like uh, theatrical releases are, are dying as a format. Yeah. And, and even then, you know, it's OK if I saw my film on Netflix or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's a whole there's a whole Hollywood battle between whether or not Netflix counts as real filmmaking or uh, you know, we're, you know, theaters, you know, dying, you know, should we keep trying to save them? Things like that. I think the market grows and you change with the market. That, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Great films are going to end up on big screens. The best mm -hmm. of the best cream rises to the top. Um, Netflix doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad or good. 
it's just a streaming platform at the end of the day. And I, I think that people are getting caught too much in their feelings. Some old school filmmakers are mad that, you know, that our generation kind of killing off uh, movie theaters. But I think our generation's also aware of the pricing that goes along with that and saying, hey, for my same amount of money, I can watch this many films and I can learn so much more from these films and then see so many more stories than if I go pay this ticket at the movie theater. For the same price of uh, going to the movie theater once, you can have a whole month of Netflix. It's kind of crazy yeah. to me. And we're in, a, we're in a generation of instant gratification where we like to we love to consume and that's what we do and netflix kind of feeds that need so i i i see both sides of the argument but at the end of the day if your film is great it's going to rise to the top and people are going to notice it this people is that love theater and people that love the you know streaming services this this is why i said like it's it's a whole different topic of, of conversation because personally if you look at the history of like movie theaters it was like the cheaper more populist alternative to like vaudeville or opera and then prices yeah. rose and so that's that's a whole nother thing about like should we hold theaters on this pedestal or should we let them fall just so they can be reborn as the populist medium that they there's always meant to be. Um, I think resisting the, whatever changes that are coming, I think it's only going to make you look worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there are certain filmmakers that I, I really respect that are anti Netflix and I don't get it. I don't get why they don't, you know, just evolve with it. I mean, it's not like their films. Their films are guaranteed to get motion pick major releases nationwide. They're the kind of people that are going to get the releases they want. Um, people like me, I'm, I grew up in kind of the streaming world, you know, and, and loving that instant gratification. I would feel very happy if my stuff got on there for all sorts of people to see it. You know, I could be able to go tell my friend, "Hey, go watch my movie. It's on Netflix." That they can instantly just go do it. Mm -hmm. It's it's awesome. Um, at the end of the day, I just want my my story to get out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, however I help tell it. And and I think that, you know, the old school people feel a bit of prestige with that. And that's OK. And I and I kind of agree. You know, there's a prestige to being able to go to the theater. And that's why it's on my bucket list. Being able to go to a theater and buy my ticket and go and watch my movie. That's that's crazy. That's that's that that thing that may never happen. But, um, you know, I'd still be happy if I got a movie out there for anyone to see, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sorry to, to interrupt this, but yeah, it's it's we, we we are almost to the two hour and no, we were at the hour and a half. My bad. My my time code on my because <laughs> I'm recording in Logic Pro. The time code in Logic Pro is two hours, but I don't know why it does. Anyway, we're at the we're at the one hour and a half mark. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. Sounds good. Yep, I'm happy to talk to you more offline. Whatever you want. Sure thing. Yep, man. Uh, I mean, I, once I wade through the, the current setup of uh, guests, I, I might bring you back on to interview again. Um, Sounds great. That's like, I want to I want to get Swikert back on. It's just he's so busy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, he's, like I said, in New York right now. So mm -hmm. he's having fun. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you. All right, man. Well, uh, looking forward to hearing it. And uh, uh, we'll see. Just let me know whenever everything's done. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to sit, let everyone else hear it. I, I shoot for Tuesday releases on these. I, I want to get back in the swing of doing one a week and having it release on Tuesday. Perfect. Okay, I'll keep an eye out. All right, thank you. All right, thanks, man. Bye. All right, everyone. That was RJ Ortiz. Thank you for listening to this interview podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, you learned something or at least enjoyed listening to us talk about what we do. Bye.